This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Why, hello there. To receive each episode of Sacred Symbols three days earlier than the public, totally ad free. To have your questions, comments, and concerns read on the air. To hear your name in the end credits and to score other cool perks, please consider supporting this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Not only will your subscription net you benefits for Sacred Symbols and allow this show to continue into the future, but those benefits also carry over to other CLS shows too, including the video game-centric YouTube show SideQuest, the retro and nostalgia-themed podcast Knockback, and the eclectic interview series Fireside Chats. In other words, you're getting insane bang for your buck. Again, that's patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and CLS couldn't and wouldn't exist. Now, on to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my sensual co-host, Chris Raygun. Chris, how are you? Whoa. Yeah. Man, that's quite an adjective. Isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of vague, too. Like, it I is don't really vague. I mean, you you could very... You're not sensual to me. I'm just saying that generally... In general, I exude that aura. Yeah, sensuality. You know? Oh, good. To each his own. I just... You know, I'm really digging deep to try to find different things to call <laughs> you, I guess, on a week-to-week basis. I'll tell, uh, I'll tell the people who do my ads that... It's like that's another like uh, tick on the box. Hey, I'm a sensual guy. Yeah, sensual. Yeah, sensuality. Chris, how's life? How are you doing today? Pretty good. I went to sleep at 7 a.m. I know those sounds like contradictory things, mm. but uh, I got a lot of work done. Good. So it feels good. Working on your videos? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff. Yeah, I went to bed a little a little early. I went to bed at like 3.30 or 4, but that's just the way it goes. I, I don't, I don't yeah. like going to bed early. Like when it's like 8 or 9 at night, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to bed at 11 tonight. And then as it creeps up and then 11 comes at 11.30, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't yeah. really want to go to bed. I think nighttime just energizes me mm. in general. I don't know why. Mm. Maybe it's because like nobody's awake and they can't distract me. Or maybe the sun's not out, so like my eyes are like a lot more rested. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. There's something. There's something to it. You remember when you were a kid? At least it was for me. Like, and you'd go to bed at like ridiculous hours. Like your bedtime was like it's eight. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna go to bed at eight o'clock. Are you nuts? <laughs> Sounds like hell. And then you go get up at ungodly hours. Like when I stay with my brother Dagan in Philadelphia to record Knockback, our retro podcast. I stay with him. He has two kids that are in, what, sixth grade and second grade, I think. And, man, they get up 
whenever they want. You know, like they go yeah. to bed at normal hours, but then they're up and like active and, you know, carpe diem at like 7 a.m. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Can't do that. Can't be having that. For those that are uninitiated, Sacred Symbols is a weekly PlayStation podcast that Chris and I put out. You're either listening to it on a podcast service like iTunes or you're listening to it on Patreon. Remember, you can get every episode three days early and ad free by supporting us at patreon.com slash Colin's Last Stand. Many of you have been doing that and we very much appreciate it because it is the only way we can continue to do the show. Also, you can support us on Patreon if you want to submit questions, comments, and concerns that are often read throughout the entire show. We'll read plenty of them today. That's the only way to interact in that way with the show. And as usual, I apologize. You guys are feeding us tons of questions. I am getting to as many of them as possible, but it's impossible to please each one of you each week. <laughs> How many of you of them are you getting? I put up a thread on Fridays at noon Pacific for this episode, which we record on Monday. So it gives people about a 72-hour period or so, yeah. a little less than that. And we get anywhere from like 75 to probably 150 entries Jesus a week. Christ. And we had twice as many last week because I had also the Spider-Man thread for our Spider-Man special episode. And that reminds me that in case you guys are unfamiliar or saw it pop up on your feed or whatever, Chris and I conducted an experiment by doing a spinoff spoiler cast slash podcast for Spider-Man Marvel Spider-Man on PS4. We got lots of feedback on that. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I had fun with it. I had it. a pretty good one. Yeah. A pretty good time. People's major feedback about it was that it, we called it a spoiler cast, but it wasn't quite spoilerly. Spoilery? Spoilery. Spoilery. Yeah. Spoilery. There we go. Enough that we basically maybe focused too much on user questions and user input and therefore didn't talk about A to Z in the story. That's well received. Mm-hmm. I wanted. I really want to include the audience in everything we do. I think I might have included them too much in our podcast. So next time <laughs> around, we'll probably do one maybe for Red Dead or something. Yeah, we'll like try proper again. one. We'll try again, see what happens. But anyway, that is floating out there in the ether. And I do ask you guys, if you're not going to support us on Patreon, to please leave us nice reviews and nice scores on podcast services. Continue to do that because it is helping us find a new audience. Today, we got a question from Kevin Sullivan, who said, how many babies are you willing to sacrifice in order to dethrone car talk and end its reign of terror? This is a great question because, Chris, I don't know how familiar you are with Car Talk. Have you ever listened to Car Talk before? I have no idea. What it, I assume it's about cars. It is. It is a famous once AM radio show that was made into podcasts later on. It started in the 80s in Massachusetts. And it became this massive phenomenon with these two older gentlemen that are fucking hilarious. For anyone who has not listened to Car I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> Go listen to Car Talk. It is so funny. But they stopped making episodes, I want to say, in 2012. And one of the gentlemen, unfortunately, passed away around that time as well. Mm-hmm. And it is still number one with no new episodes in six years. Wow. What? It is It is still number one on iTunes games and hobbies chart almost all the time with, again, I'm going to reiterate, no new episodes in more than six years and one of the co-hosts being dead for that duration of time. So to answer Kevin Sullivan's question, I will do almost anything in regards to the dark arts in order to permanently take the number one spot on iTunes, especially with this admittedly amazing show. To be honest, we have no business being ahead of Car Talk in terms of quality. I'll say that. <laughs> apparently, apparently, because that's insane. It's amazing, dude. But if you ever have time and inclination, you might not. You should just go listen to an episode. It's really funny. Basically, for people that don't know what it is, is it's these two clowns that are like good friends, good chummy friends, and they take calls from people about what's wrong with their cars. And it just totally devolves into madness like every time. It's so funny. It really is authentically funny. And I think that's why... It still does well to this day. My God. Andrew Leake wrote into us and mm-hmm. asked us a fundamental question. Chris, I feel like we're getting a little too raunchy the last few weeks. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to have a little bit more of a wholesome question today. 
And so Mr. Leek, Andrew Leek, asks, crunchy peanut butter or creamy peanut butter? What do you prefer? I mean, creamy. Yeah? Yeah. What, are you a crunchy person? I think it depends on the situation, to be perfectly honest with you. No. It's, it, it's butter. Butter shouldn't be crunchy at all. Mm. Crunchy butter, there's something wrong with it. Yeah, that's yeah. like a problem. You, If you had crunchy butter, you'd probably like, you know, call someone. Right. <laughs> to get that handled. Right. Because that's not, I don't know, that doesn't sound appetizing at all. I barely like peanut butter as it is. Really? No. Yeah, it's not the best thing to me. That's why you have an aversion to understanding what Peter Pan peanut butter is, which people still almost every day tweet us pictures of on Twitter <laughs> because you didn't believe that it really existed. So you don't like, what did you grow up eating? You didn't grow up eating peanut butter and jelly and stuff like that? a lot of Spanish food. I just had mm. like rice and beans mm. and chicken and uh, like proper, like just meat, just meat. I didn't have like the peanut butter and jelly thing. I didn't really care about it. Huh. I remember when I found out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches existed or like were things that people would get in, in their lunch boxes. And I was, I was like confused because it just seemed like candy. Just it just seemed like somebody spread candy on bread right. and gave it to their kids. It's like that. It doesn't seem healthy at all. I don't know if it is or not. It might be. I mean, I don't know. But it's, it looks real bad. I don't think it's healthy because maybe you get some protein and whatnot. But you're a child. You're kind of playing, going through the rigors of youth, yeah. and therefore moving around a lot. But. It is a little bit of an interesting mixture. Like, I love peanut butter. I love the taste of peanuts in Thai food, like peanut sauce. When you go to Five Guys, do you get, like, a, a handful of those sure. free peanuts? Why not? They're yeah. everywhere in that goddamn place. It's like the currency of, yeah, of they're Five on Guys the floor. is all peanuts. It's, yeah, it's a little gross, actually. Bags of peanuts, bags of potatoes <laughs> just laying around everywhere in Five Guys. But it is a little unusual because, for me, first of all, I would prefer smooth, creamy peanut butter yeah. nine out of ten times. But there are instances where chunky peanut butter does the trick. I will say that I used to hang out with this kid named Eric when I lived on Long Island as a child. His parents used to buy crunchy peanut butter and these like thick pitas that they mm. would come in bags almost like bread. And the crunchy peanut butter was perfect on those because it wouldn't rip up the pita when you were spreading it like if you were trying to spread crunchy peanut butter on a some Wonder Bread. Yeah. So that's an exception to the rule for me. Uh, I'm not a fan of the adjective. I'm not a fan of crunchy as just like a descriptive term for anything that should be soft. Sure. Crunchy butter. Yeah. It's not gross. not a good thing. Not my thing. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Lewis Harrison wrote into us and said, Hey guys, so I'm listening to SideQuest while I'm in the shower and my six year old comes in to use the toilet. I think you mean you're listening to Sacred Symbols, but I appreciate if you were also listening to SideQuest, my YouTube channel. When I'm finished showering, I step out and notice my son still sitting on the toilet. Then it hits me. <laughs> he just heard your entire exchange regarding the human centipede. Oh no. I was actually going to wait till he turned ten before having the human centipede talk with him. So I guess that's one less awkward talk I have to have with him. So thanks. I guess. Keep up the great work. <laughs> that's such an essential conversation to have. The human centipede talk. I don't think anyone had the human centipede talk with me until I was in my late 20s. Yeah, me neither. Because even when I heard about it, Chris, I was like, well, it can't possibly be what I think you're telling me what it is. It's a shocker. Do they shit in each other's mouths? I assume. I assume that's the point. <laughs> Somebody made that on purpose. And that's like sustenance for the other person who's then shitting that shit into someone else's mouth and so on and so forth. They, who's this... at the head of the centipede? Uh, a really awful director, evidently. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Chris, we got some corrections, or I don't want to say corrections, some clarifications because you were talking about Destiny 2 right. last week. Dominic Brandt wrote into us and said, Chris mentioned on episode 11 how much of a chore it will be to play through Destiny 2 a fifth time to try to get Forsaken. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Forsaken come with a consumable called Spark of Light that jumps your character's XP level to 25, thus allowing you to skip right to the Forsaken content? I understand that much of Chris's complaint was centered around the lack of a cross-save functionality, which I also think Destiny 2 needs. Perhaps using the Spark of Light would make the grind a little more bearable. 
Yes, what I, is was this aware, I was aware of this, but the problem is Destiny is a game that requires you to pretty much max out every single character that you have, and you have to have multiple characters to jump between because the Warlock, Titan, and Hunter have different functions in different parts of the game, especially like if you want to do a raid or anything. You have to have those characters, but to level those characters up, you got to play through the whole game as them. So the Spark of Light will work for one character, sure, mm. but like, what about the rest that you need? You know, And what about the content? Once you skip to that level... You're just at that level, at that power level, but you don't have any gear or anything. You're just given these like kind of throwaway weapons, so it's like, ah, <laughs> it's just it makes it like I'm getting like frustrated. Well, Dominic Brandt was trying to tie into, uh, but I'm but I'm aware of the spark. Well, he was. And trying I did to... use it for like a second character that I just didn't feel like Fair putting enough. the time into. Because Mr. Brandt was trying to knock you down a peg, but I have to say Michael Martinez wrote in with a little bit of backup. Because it says, howdy, gents. Chris, last week you mentioned how the vanilla Destiny 2 campaign is a tedious chore on playthrough number five. I was in the same boat thanks to all my friends jumping ship from Xbox One. Yeah. Thankfully, Forsaken comes with a level booster that both skips the vanilla and DLC campaigns. The problem is that the free PS Plus version of Destiny 2 does not include Forsaken nor the level booster. So... Exactly. There, so there... Yeah. So just to clarify, not everyone was against Chris. Yes. And you also pretty much have to pay... <laughs> I think Forsaken's like... What is it? Like 30 What's the price? I don't want to get it wrong, but it's it's pretty expensive to just pay for a level boost. You know what I mean? Right. So People will like, do it. Uh, yeah, I know. <sighs> sons of bitch. Sons, sons of bitch. Sons of bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like My brother and I say that. I don't. We got. I don't want to say I made it up because we got it from somewhere, but I don't know where we got it. <laughs> a couple corrections and clarifications. John Lynch wrote in and said, "Hey guys, love the show. Just wanted to make a note. You guys mentioned the last Dragon Age wasn't well received. I think you guys are talking about Dragon Age Two. It sold soft and wasn't well received. The latest game, Inquisition, received an 89 Metacritic. Not sure how it sold. I myself enjoyed it greatly, and I've been looking forward to the next. Totally Fair valid enough. feedback. Absolutely. Dragon Age Two was was pretty poorly received, but even Inquisition, I, I don't recall it being bad, but I don't recall it being like people hyping it up." You know, I don't, I don't recall people being super excited about it. It didn't really break any ground that I saw. People weren't, like, super pumped for it. So my assumption was that it was either it either maintained the quality of the previous. It just seems like it kind of flatlined, you know what I mean? didn't seem like it, like, exploded onto the scene and made everybody real happy. Sure. You know? No, I, I agree. I was so put off by Dragon Age Origins, the first one, oh, you that came like out, it? I think, between ME2 and ME3. I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. I was like, ah... I don't like this game at all. And mm. so it seemed always seemed B-team-ish to me. <laughs> and I'm playing Mass Effect Andromeda, which we'll talk about in a moment. And oh, I'm excited. Oh. I'm so excited to hear this. <laughs> don't be. A couple more clarifications. We talked about THQ Nordic and Kingdoms of Amalur last week. And I noted that THQ Nordic's acquisition of Kingdoms of Amalur could conceivably allow them to re-release Reckoning, which is the only Amalur game that was ever released back in 2012. And Eurogamer has clarification on this that I think is important to carry over to or pass on to the audience, Chris. And it says, quote, EA still has the publishing rights to Reckoning. This is according to THQ Nordic to Eurogamer. About any other details about the relationship between EA and 38 Studios, we can't comment. At this stage, we only acquired the intellectual property. Given our track record, we know the burning question, remaster, remake, port to current gen, etc., what they are, but we decided to not answer those specifically as we tend to put our heads together first and then do our homework and only start to talk about anything once we feel confident and very familiar with the franchise, end quote. So in other words, EA has got to be at least in on re-releasing Reckoning. But I love this because this also feeds into my narrative that THQ Nordic has no fucking idea what it's doing. <laughs> because 
they say that the burning question will, of course, be the remaster, remake, or re-release of the original game. But then they say, we decided not to answer those specifically as we tend to put our heads together first and then do our homework and only start to talk about anything once we feel confident and very familiar with the franchise. So you bought an IP with only one game released in it. You have no rights to re-release that game and then think anyone is going to buy a new Amalur game? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's THQ <laughs> yeah. Nordic wrapped up with a little bow on oh around the gosh. box for you. I didn't yeah. even think about it that way when I was reading it. And finally, people contested, Chris, that Fallout 76 really is multiplayer only. And I said that it was single player optional. But I think we're mixing up terms, or maybe I'm mixing up terms. You can play Fallout 76 alone. You have to be in a world with other people, but that's not unlike The Division or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're mincing words here, but I think we'll ultimately see how it all plays out and if it will really truly be a Colin game or not. Yeah, it's it, well, it's, it's definitely not a traditional Fallout. You're not going to have the same kinds of quest lines you're going to get in like a, a mainline fall. It, it is also a spinoff. Like it's pretty obviously a spinoff. It's coming pretty close after four. You know, it hasn't been that much time since four, especially when you consider, you know, the gap between proper fallouts. Indeed. So right. there's that. We'll find out soon. I mean, we'll, we'll be playing the game next month and I guess I'm we'll find about out. It. I think it could be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it as well. PS4 firmware 6.0 is out. I wanted to just throw that out there in case you guys haven't seen it or downloaded it. If you next time you connect your PS4 to the network, you will be prompted to download it. It seems to do literally nothing. I don't know if anyone noticed that. Usually the big round numbers are created for something. We got some write-ins about this. James Gowell says, Hello to the most handsome personality in gaming and Mr. Raygun. Aww. PlayStation released update 6.0 and people are feeling like it was a troll because there does not appear to be many changes. They have been hitting in a few places that this is the year oh they've been hinting in a few places rather this is the year we can correct those poor choices we made as youth selecting a PSN name after years of kindly asking PlayStation to let us change our names is it finally happening Shuhei please let us change our names now this probably isn't a huge problem for you but for people that have made their name in 2006 2007 2008 have been locked into that name on PlayStation oh, yeah. Network forever no uh, <laughs> I would be super embarrassed because I, I had a 360 back then if I had the same name I had on 360 good lord I would never go online. Cringe. My name is still Moriarty-IGN, which I personally have no problem with. I mean, I was there for a long time. That doesn't really bother me. But yeah. some people's names out there, like we used to, at my old company, get lists of names that people have and like want they want to change these names. And it's like, holy moly, dude. Because if you bought a PS3 at launch in 2006 and you were like 16 years old, you are now 28. <laughs> and you might still be stuck with... Bong Ripper 420 as your name. Yeah, it's like a tattoo. It's like yeah. getting a tattoo when you're young. It is it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I made this horrible decision. It's remarkable. I've been chasing this story for so many years now, like trying to figure out what's going on. Basically, what for people that don't know, this seems to be what's happening with name changes. This is the most succinct way I can explain it. On Xbox Live, your name is attached to a digit. And they take that digit and carry it over to achievements and they carry it over to leaderboards and online play and all of that. And the digit mirrors a name that can be changed as a layer over it. The PlayStation Network didn't have a digit like modifier. They had your name. So if your name is Bong Ripper 420, it's blah, 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 slash, blah, 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 slash, Bong Ripper 420. And if they change that, then it affects your trophies. It affects your store. It murders leaderboards. It has an inability to play yeah. games online. It's a coding issue. It's a huge coding issue. And what they're basically doing, as far as I understand, and as far as I can tell, is that 
I got word some years ago that the way that they're asking developers to deal with names now does deal with a number modifier, and this has been going on for years. And I think now they're trying to get enough distance from PS3 and Vita, which doesn't use this modifier, so that they can eventually flip the switch and anything that breaks won't really matter anymore. Because the way it was explained to me by people off the record, well, not off the record, but anonymously, was that if you change this thing and then go online with it, it like can bust leaderboards going back years. Your trophies will just disappear or not be attached to your name anymore. Your all your purchases, thousands of dollars worth of purchases will be gone. Ugh, that's so, a, such a mess. So they apparently have figured out a way or like have been working slowly working towards this point. And I think PS4 and PSN on PS4 encapsulates this solution. So my assumption is once they literally do kill off PS3 and Vita that they'll flip the switch. And Sean Layden, one of the heads of Worldwide Studios, did say last year that by December of this year that they will hopefully have something to say about this issue because it is an issue. People would be willing to pay so much money at this point. Well, to yeah, get their people have. Yeah. People have. They've done it over on Xbox for years. Yeah, you pay a $10 fee on Xbox. Yeah. If Sony was like, we're going to charge you $100 to change your name, people would do it. They're like so desperate at this point. <laughs> Even if they had to have like individual call center people go in and change all of the things the for digits, you, yeah. make a little profit off of it. So I wanted to throw that out there that that's kind of what's going on. And I think that 6.0 probably has nothing to do with that because I'm not sure it's a firmware issue. But I want to let you guys know that I'm still on the case. I'm still on the case. I've been on this case. Detective Moriarty's still on the case. 10 years now I've been on this case. Yeah. It might be coming to a close. That would be nice. I don't know that I would... Well, I guess if I had the option, I would change it. I probably would just change it from Moriarty-IGN to Moriarty-CLS or something like that. Yeah. Whatever the case might be. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well... Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Max Cannon wrote into us and said, Hey guys, I'd mentioned this elsewhere on Patreon, but figured it would be topical for Sacred Symbols. A few weeks ago, PlayStation put out five original TV pilots made by up-and-coming artists as a part of a PlayStation Emerging Filmmakers program, including a comedy I'd co-created called Band in Boise, which centers around filmmakers in my beloved hometown. The program started off last year with hundreds of submissions whittled down to 10 ideas, which were then pitched to PlayStation executives, including Sean Layden, to determine which five would go into production. With this new initiative that I'm obviously grateful to have participated in, do you think PlayStation-produced content outside of gaming has a place in Sony's ecosystem, or should they stick with what has worked so far? I talked to Max behind the scenes about this. I think the fact that I never even heard about this at all until he told me says everything you need to know about Sony's commitment to this, unfortunately. When I read this, the first thing I thought of, uh, do you remember <laughs> Do you remember the tester? Oh, of course. Of <laughs> That's course. the first thing I thought of. was like, didn't they do this before? And it was like really, really odd. It was cringy a little bit back in the day. Yeah. This is a little different because this is basically, I guess, funding 
creative Yeah, it's like endeavors. finding independent people instead of just like kind of doing an in-house thing, I guess. Chris, let's get into what we're playing. You were talking about Destiny 2. How is it going? It's Destiny. It's Destiny. I'm liking it. It's, the story's a lot more engaging than I thought it was going to be. The gameplay seems to be just the same as it's always been. I am having a lot more fun with it now, though, that I'm playing on PS4 with like the friends that I've acquired over the last uh, couple of years. Whereas on Xbox, I was kind of like by myself and PC, I was kind of in and out with different people. And I didn't really have a consistent group. But now like my roommates are all on it. So it's a nice little break. But ultimately, it's more Destiny. It's better Destiny, but it's still overall, it's the same thing. If you think in Forsaken is going to like change your view of Destiny, it's like, oh my God, it's going to be a savior. Not quite. It's a good story. Props to the team. But it's still got the, the Destiny issues that I think would have turned you off in the first place. But I like it, so. It's all about that loot grind. To me, I, I, that doesn't speak to me a great deal. Once in a while, it does. Yeah, for me, it's more like a chat room where I can kill aliens. Oh. Is how I look at it, almost. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you know? I wonder how much more populated Destiny 2 on PS4 is now that the game, the core game's free. There must be a ton of people playing that have never played before, you assume. Oh, probably, yeah. Uh, there definitely is because I was in uh, I was I was in the multiplayer crucible and I was cleaning house. Nice. I was like, okay, well, this is definitely definitely new faces. Clowns, <laughs> clowns, clowns getting clowned out. Yeah. So Destiny Two, that's all that's been keeping you busy in gaming world because you've been busy with work and whatnot. Yeah, pretty much. It's a, it's a good game to just kind of pop on, and that isn't Fortnite. Yeah. You know, I can't take it anymore with the Fortnite. I can't. I can't. I saw an article about Fortnite. I was going to put it in the news. Oh, the t- like, the two hundred divorce yeah. proceeding. <laughs> I'm like, I can't possibly feed into this any further. I love it. There's two hundred divorce proceedings that have cited Fortnite already. It makes me happy. Is that is that a bad thing that that makes me happy? No, I think it's great. Divorce makes everyone happy. It's all about second chances, and, th- <laughs> and third and fourth chances sometimes. Oh, I finished up Shadow of the Tomb Raider. We talked a little bit about it. Actually, we talked a great deal about it for like 20 or 25 minutes on the last episode, so I won't weigh us down this time with it, but my review is up on SideQuest's YouTube channel. I think it's good. Mm-hmm. I think it has a place. I think for all the competition around it, it might behoove someone who is not a Tomb Raider fan or not invested in that series or that gameplay style to wait until the game's cheaper to play it. How but, do you think it stacks up to the, the games prior? Well, Rise of the Tomb Raider is the only one that I have a deep experience with, and I feel like I liked Rise of the Tomb Raider more because I yeah. think the setting was a little bit more... It was like Alpine, right? Yeah, it was like Alpine-y and snowy and ex-Soviet, and it was cool. Like right. I remember, I think one of the first open areas was like a, an abandoned Soviet research place or whatever, and I'm like, this is so cool because... That does sound pretty cool. Shadow of the Tomb Raider is so Mesoamerican, which is fine, but it's like about going after relics, and you're in the jungle, and you're dealing with indigenous peoples, and it's just kind of the uncharted mumbo-jumbo kind of shit. Right, yeah. I'm like, I am kind of don't need to do this over and over again. It was cooler when it wasn't like this. Yeah, I know what you mean. And then I've been playing, as I mentioned earlier, Mass Effect Andromeda. Tell me. Tell me what you think, please. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to tell you, the reason that I started playing it was because I've been, I'm watching the show. I think I mentioned it last week. I'm watching the show The Expanse, which is based on a novel series about interplanetary travel. 200 plus years from now, humanity is kind of taken to colonizing planets and asteroids and moons. And the story goes from there. Nothing or very few things inspire awe in me as much as space travel. Like when I saw that Elon Musk today was going to announce soon that the first person to go uh, yeah. on the circumnavigate the moon or whatever is going to be announced soon. And I'm like, I want to be that person so bad. Like I want to go to space so bad. And I've said, you know, to Aaron and to my family, like if someone was like, you can go on a one way mission to Mars and maybe never come back. I'd be like, yes. Yeah, I would. <laughs> really? You would? Yeah. 
Yeah, can you imagine? It'd be awesome, but it's also like, you know, it's it's like a tattoo. It's like a permanent decision. It is a permanent like, you decision. make sure that's what the hell you want. And maybe when push came to shove, I would back out at the very last second. Probably. But there's something really sexy and tantalizing and amazing about being a pioneer going out in space oh, yeah, like no, that. Absolutely. Space is amazing. I, I would rather be in space than in the ocean. Oh, me too. I hate the ocean it. terrifies me, actually. Actually, like straight up. Like what's in it or what yeah, you don't know what's about. In it. So you see like a, a shark that launches out of its own skeleton and you're like, what? This isn't okay at all. A fish with a little light above its head. That's a real thing, by the way. Google goblin shark if you want to have a horrible day. Goblin shark. What, what do they name these things so appropriately? Yeah, well. yeah, the ocean is very weird and I always get annoyed. Listen, I think that there's plenty for us to still learn. Clearly, still for us to learn in the ocean. I think that's awesome. People should be nah, biologists. nah. nah. Leave no, it alone. Go to yeah, space. Go to space. Just forget about it. <laughs> I hear people it. are like, we don't know so much about Earth. Why do you want to go to space? And I say, shut up, nerd. We're going to fucking space. We're going to space. And so... Shut up, nerd. We're going to space. <laughs> the provenance of me playing Mass Effect starts with The Expanse because I, it, it fills me with such awe and such wonder as they go from Phoebe, the moon of Saturn, to Ganymede, the moon of Jupiter, to Mars and the yeah. asteroid belt. And it's like, I'm like, this is so fucking cool. So... I was looking through my game library, and I didn't really want to play anything. I saw Mass Effect, so I, I was like, all right, I haven't played it. It's maybe fixed by now. I don't know. The word that I have for it after six or seven hours is it's amateur. It's playable. It's not nearly as bad as some people made it out to be yet, but mm-hmm. it is long-winded. It has bad production values. It looks old. It doesn't run right. The quest structure is all fucked up. The menus are all screwed up. It is very amateur. That's the word that comes to mind yeah. for me. It looks as if it's a game made by people who have never made a video game. It looks worse than Mass Effect 2 and 3 sometimes. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, what? I think it's just because the sheer detail of the textures mixed with like weird, the weird lack of detail on the models. And it's just something about like, oh man, your skin is super hyper-realistic, but you look like a mannequin. It's, it, it's horrifying. There's a sterility to it. it yeah, sterile. And I just don't understand the whole structure of the quest, the... UI, it's like I've said before when I said about God of War, when you can't nail things that should be very simple, like your UI, your menus, your quick travel, all that kind of stuff, then that really frustrates me, especially when you nail everything else. And that's what God of War did. God of War nailed all this stuff, but then when you got to the granular post-game menus and jumping yeah. around, it just the game fell apart. The game's poor in that respect. I really believe that. I think God of War is poor in that respect. But the thing with Mass Effect Andromeda is it's poor in that respect and not very good elsewhere either. So yeah. it doesn't I, have anything to like draw you away from what's bad about it. Right. You know? I will say that the same thing that drags me into the trilogy drags me into this, which is the codices and just reading all the fictional information about mm-hmm. the universe and the speed, you know, especially because Andromeda takes place in the Andromeda galaxy. It's all new planets, all new species. And it's fun to read that stuff. Like I enjoy that. But then I'm like, well, I can just read a book. You so say you're drawn in by the codec. Yeah, basically. Were you, you were drawn by the codec in the previous games? I loved that stuff. I mean, See, I loved I everything was else. Not. But... I didn't look at the codec at all. Oh, so, like, Andromeda has nothing. Has absolutely nothing for me. That's too bad. Yeah, it's a shame. I would have liked to like it. I'm going to stick with it, I think. we. I have Mega Man 11 now. I got it this morning. So, that's going to obviously distract me. But I do have every intention of getting back to Mass Effect. We'll see. Yeah. I have lots of intentions that go unfulfilled. Shall we get into the news? Let's do it. Number one, in case there was any doubt about a new PlayStation console, world-famous semiconductor corporation AMD has all but confirmed its existence. In an interview with CNBC's Jim Cramer, of Mad Money fame, relayed by GameSpot, AMD's Lisa Su noted that the company is, quote, working with both Sony and Microsoft on consoles. They both have their specific secret sauce that we're helping them do, end quote. 
This is notable because while Microsoft has publicly yet vaguely referenced its next generation console, Sony hasn't said a word about PS5, even stating that while PS4 is entering the last part, part of its life cycle, the new console could be several years away. I think some people were even saying 2021, which I think is absurd. Yeah, no. While Lisa Sue's comments don't tell us much about PS5, they do tell us that AMD is involved and is currently undertaking problems and investigating solutions for Sony. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Sony's been tight-lipped about this. This would be way less interesting if it was only about Microsoft because Xbox openly talks about the next console. Right, right. Well, I, you know why that is. I think it's pretty obvious. I think Microsoft is really looking forward to just getting out of this generation and PlayStation is kind of not so right. eager to get out of it. I think that's why they're so tight-lipped is because they're, they're, I feel like they're in a good place and they don't necessarily want to move on, at least not before they need to, you know? Sony's like the QB of the high school football team in his senior year. And Microsoft is like the art student that is knows that life will be better once they graduate high school. And one of them wants right. to leave and one of them wants to say, do you see what I'm saying? That's now? A good. That's yeah. good. It's not to say that the high school quarterback will not find success in college. It's to say that he might not find the level of success that he found in high school. While Microsoft, the art student, is about to burgeon as he or she goes off to college. It's a weird analogy. It is weird. It's, it's a, a good, little bit of a weird it's a good, You're a good storyteller. Thank you. Tony Colton wrote into us and said, with next-gen consoles deep in development, what do you guys think would be the biggest risk that Sony should take with PS5? How does that strike you? What's the biggest risk that they might want to take? I don't want any risks. I, I, I want a good system that plays games good. <laughs> Am I, is, that, is that like too low? Me play game good. <laughs> no, I, I just want better AI. I want better like worlds. I want to be able to like fly into space like No Man's Sky promised, but like in a game that's good, you know? I don't know. I, We're I, going I, to space, I'm a nerd. Simp, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy. I don't need, you know, a VR headset that has little nodes attached to my fingertips so I can really feel when an alien is eating me. I want good stuff. And I want stuff that looks cool and, and that's really dynamic. I guess, like, better AI. I don't, I don't know. What, what do you want? I don't know. As I'm, far I'm, as risks, you know? I, I think safe is safe and that's what we got with ps4 and xbox one xbox took risks and it didn't work ps4 didn't take any risks and it worked out great i just can't I, think of a risk a risk could be something maybe like game pass in terms of hardware it could be something maybe you know what came to mind for me was like will ps5 include some sort of switch like device you know hmm. could it at a reasonable price include something like that that would be a huge risk because it would drive the price up but would it make it competitive with nintendo does sony even need to compete with nintendo and in, in seeing the recent nintendo direct i'm not seeing much that should worry sony yeah or microsoft if you like ports though you can go like switch you know Are you excited to, to play every game you've already played before on a thing that kind of plays it worse are you excited to play as isabella on in super smash brothers what <laughs> Uh, I, the online system rolls out soon for it, I think. Yeah, $20 a year, which is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. You know what's weird about that whole Direct was they were talking about the voice chat app. Like it was like an app on your phone, which is stupid, but it's also... I feel like those chat apps, like PlayStation Parties and Xbox Live Party Chat, are almost kind of useless with Discord being a thing and like these kind of new age chat rooms that aren't as tedious to use as TeamSpeak used to be. I feel like it's almost... They probably almost didn't even have to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, this isn't a Nintendo podcast. I well, just... I'm perfectly fine talking about Nintendo yeah. here. I never know what they're doing. I just don't know. Which is interesting. Number two, Insomniac's recently released critical and commercial hit PS4 exclusive Spider-Man is getting a new game plus mode in a future update. Twitter user Tony Parker tweeted at Insomniac Games' official account asking if a new game plus option was forthcoming. Insomniac's account answered, quote, yes, working on it now and polishing it up, end quote. 
Specifics including features and release date have yet to be released. This isn't a huge surprise because God of War got one. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, are you gonna like are you gonna I, go back in, you think? Probably. I think especially because God of War I feel like was so so story heavy and had a lot of gameplay sections that were slow. I feel like it it doesn't really pull me in in the same way that Spider Man does. Like Spider Man's like, Oh yeah, I want to do this fight but with these gadgets that I unlocked, you know? I feel like that'd be fun, yeah. I probably I'll probably go back through it again, especially because it's so fresh in my head. Hopefully, New Game Plus comes out soon. <laughs> we'll see. I, I can't imagine they'd wait longer than a month or two. I mean, it's just a quick yeah. fix, I think, for them. It's funny with the gadgets you had mentioned. I have been marinating over the gadgets, and we had gotten a lot of feedback and reader questions and comments when we did our episode. I just didn't mess with the gadgets. I was really surprised by how many gadgets there were where I was like, oh, yeah. I went into the menu like late into the game and realized I hadn't even unlocked almost any of them. <laughs> I used them so much. I almost use them exclusively sometimes. There's some great combos that you can pull with them. I'll just, I'll just hit the square button over and over again. That seemed to do the <laughs> trick. Number three, critically acclaimed Metroidvania Hollow Knight is coming to PlayStation 4 under the title Hollow Knight Void Heart Edition. In addition to the main game, the Void Heart Edition will include four content packs that, according to a post on PlayStation blog, quote, expand the game with all new quests, terrifying boss fights, and striking new abilities, end quote. The content pack's names are Hidden Dreams, The Grim Troop, Lifeblood, and Godmaster. You can look for Hollow Knight very, very soon. It launches on PS4 on September 25th. So that's really exciting because people cool. have been really stoked about that game. That's a solid game. People have been wanting me to play it on Switch. And I'm like, I'll wait for it to come on PS4, thinking that I would wait maybe a couple of years. Oh, there you go. Not too bad. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Me neither. I'm excited. Too many Metroidvanias, though. We're getting to a critical mass here. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I'd fear not for the player of the Metroidvania, the connoisseur of the Metroidvania, but for the developer the develop, of the Metroidvania. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They, they've all been pretty good so far. But they have been. But if you developed Dead Cells and then another guy developed Guacamelee 2 and then another guy developed The Messenger and then another guy developed, you know, they Hollow should be, Knight. And I, then, they should be spread out a bit. Yeah. A bit more than they currently are. And I understand that it's, not, you know, they have to release their games when they have to release them. But this is what I'm talking about with Sony and Microsoft not helping anyone. Like, why wouldn't Sony look at their catalog and be like, guys, we have a couple of these hits. It would really be better for you to wait. And if you wait, we'll give you some boost here on playstation blog and we'll talk about you a little bit and put a new trailer up on the playstation youtube channel to help you out but that would require you know um work number four capcom has released quite a few collections over the last couple of years for Mega Man collections a street fighter collection and a disney collection to be exact and now it's releasing a collection of its old school brawlers the so-called capcom beat-em-up bundle is now out cost twenty dollars and includes final fight the king of dragons captain commando knights of the round warriors of fate armored warriors and battle circuit the bundle comes with extras I wrote here extracts. That doesn't make any sense. Including local and online co-op and plenty of art and concepts. I usually wouldn't call out a game that was coming out when because it's going to be in our new game release as well. Mm -hmm. But they never even announced this. So I felt like the audience should know. Right. Look at those names again. How generic are some of those names? Final Fight was good. It is. But look, the King of Dragons, Cap Warriors of Fate. <laughs> Captain Commando is pretty good. Armored Warriors. Yeah. Not digging too deep. I mean, they were new back then. I do like the name Battle Circuit. That's a cool name. Battle Circuit is a good name. So I'm looking forward to that. In case you guys are curious, shitty trophy list on that one. Number mm -hmm. five. Ubisoft has revealed its post-launch plans for Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is set to launch on October 5th. According to a post on the PlayStation blog, Ubisoft is planning, quote, two major new story arcs told across multiple episodes, with each episode releasing approximately six weeks apart, end quote. This will be known as the so-called Tales of Greece and is included in the game's season pass. 
Legacy of the First Blade is the first of these arcs and will launch in December. The fate of Atlantis follows in spring of 2019. All of this news comes on the back of word that development of Assassin's Creed Odyssey is officially done, meaning that the core game has gone gold. Well, look at that. Are you interested in playing this? Should I ask Ubisoft for a copy for you? The last Assassin's Creed game that I liked was Brotherhood. And the last Assassin's Creed game... a long time ago. And the last Assassin's Creed game that I played was Assassin's Creed 3. So... I was going to say, that's like 2011. It's been quite a while. This one looks cool, though. I mean, I like the setting of it a lot. I want to jump back into Assassin's Creed, I think, time permitting. But I don't know that jumping into Odyssey is necessarily prudent. I feel like yeah. I should probably go back and maybe even go, not to Black Flag, but maybe to Syndicate and start there. Because I feel like that's when people started to be high on it again. As opposed to that below that Brotherhood 3 Black Flag kind of era where people were like, eh, I don't really want yeah. Yeah. I don't care about the story. I just want the setting. The syndicate setting just, sounded cool. No, the setting the settings are all, almost always interesting. That's the thing about it. It's like this is a really interesting world, but it's still following people who are walking at negative six miles an hour, you know? It's I, not for you. I want it to be good. I don't want these things to be boring and sad and draining of my life energy but they i'm already i i feel myself getting tired thinking of thinking about assassin's creed life is boring enough and sad enough as it is without exactly. assassin's creed mucking it up <laughs> number six speaking of assassin's creed ubisoft also revealed that assassin's creed 3 remastered will be launched on playstation 4 in march of 2019 and will be both included in the assassin's creed odyssey season pass and available for purchase individually assassin's creed 3 remastered will include all of its dlc and most pivotally Assassin's Creed Liberation Remastered, which is a re-release of a PS Vita-exclusive entry in the Assassin's Creed franchise launched in 2012. It later came to last-gen platforms in 2014. Both 3 and Liberation take place in the American colonies during the American Revolution. And those are the ones that I wanted to like the most. Oh yeah, because the setting is so cool. Dude, it was so cool. The setting of 3 was awesome. I just couldn't stand it. Like, I couldn't stand yeah. playing it. Nah, I was, I was pretty much in the same boat. Audience, no one wanted to like that game more than me. Trust me. That's like the time period I wish I lived in. And so I wanted to live in Philadelphia in the 1770s more than anything. I kind of want to go to the moon too, as I said, so we can't have it both ways. Yeah. I mean, they're both the same. Philadelphia and the moon. You know. Yeah. I mean, what's the difference? In geologic time, though, 300 years is meaningless. It's a snap of a finger. It's a snap of God's big, meaty fingers. Alex Ball wrote into us and said, Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered and Assassin's Creed Liberation Remastered is coming with Assassin's Creed Odyssey's season pass. This has been a trend with Ubisoft lately. Far Cry 3 was included in Far Cry 5 Season Pass. Is this a trend you're okay with? Trying to pass off new content as prettier old content. How do you feel about that, Chris? I understand the gripe, but I also do like that you kind of get more bang for your buck. Even if it is older bang, you know? We all need an older bang every once in a while. Because not a lot of people play everything. You know, I, did, I, I played Far Cry 3, but some people who are looking into Far Cry 4 or 5 or whatever probably didn't. Right, and definitely, definitely nobody played Liberation. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I'm one of five people that ever owned that game, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even I couldn't play it. So that's the thing. So that's the thing. Like, that's a, that's a new experience, technically, if you want to get optimistically cynical about it. Yeah, well, that's... I would much rather prefer, obviously, new content, but it seems like they're doing that with the episode, uh, the yeah. episodic content, and they're giving you this stuff. So I, I actually think it's a pretty good value, to be honest. I do, too. I think this is not the complaint worth making from my perspective as well. Yeah. They're giving you the season pass and they're giving you this robust content that they want to roll out over like a six month period all told, which is pretty amazing and keeps you engaged in the game. And most interestingly, keeps you from selling it back, which is what yeah. they really want you to not do. But apart from that, I agree with you. If they're going to throw in three in Liberation, whether they're good or not, they're free games. If you have the season pass and you buy them a la carte, if they're not, 
So I take no issue with this. And I have to say that I might just jump into Assassin's Creed 3 again when it comes to PS4 in March of 2019 because I hate myself. And so I wanted <laughs> to see what, you know, how deep I can possibly bring this this life of misery. <laughs> Joshua McGee wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, keep doing God's work out there. I was thinking the other day about how many HD re-releases, remasters, and ports have come out to this console generation and was one, was wondering what are your favorites. Examples, Shadow of the Colossus, Mega Man Legacy Collection, Last of Us, and why. Also, what remasters, re-releases, and ports are you looking forward to in the future and why? Thanks again for all that you guys do. You have the best content, hands down. Thank you so much, oh, Joshua. Thanks so much. How do you feel about this era of re-releases? Because it is becoming a little bit much, but I will not lie to everyone and say that I don't enjoy some of them, so I'd be a hypocrite to complain. Yeah, Shadow of the Colossus, I really, really, really enjoyed, because that's my favorite game of all time. With stuff like Spyro, especially, <laughs> especially stuff from the PS1 era, PS1 and 64 era, that's, a, that's an era that specifically really kind of needs <laughs> a bit of a retouching, because those games look... I'm sorry. They look really, really, really awful. Like all of them. Like even the good look, even the pretty ones look demonstrably horrendous. Yeah, they do. So Anything like, polygonal. Yeah. So like, I mean, I'm I'm less so enthralled by like the Xbox PS2 era remasters because those kind of, I don't know, those can be handled with love and all that. But it's like they're playable and an upres would would do fine but i really enjoyed the Oddworld remaster or the or the rework it was like a new kind of they game released actually. a few of them right over the last year well they did new and tasty which mm. was like i think it was abe's odyssey but it was like redone so like you, you wouldn't change screens you would be followed by the camera the whole time which was like a huge change to that game that one and shadow of the colossus are the two that i can that i can think of that i really really enjoyed but lauren lanning who's you know, one of the OGs over the team that does Oddworld. Interesting dude. He's, yes. I've had some interesting, fascinating conversations with him. He came to a party once, one time I met him, and had this interesting alcoholic drink that he was sharing with everyone that was like totally smooth. And I'm like, where did you get this? This is great. We had a very lengthy and very heady conversation with him. Yeah. Then he disappeared like that. Lauren is an interesting, interesting fellow. He's very kind and very smart. If you ever get a chance out there to talk with him, you should at a a convention or something like that. Also, Oddworld is great. You should play it. Number seven. Fumito Ueda's new game is officially under development, though it doesn't seem to have anything to do with PlayStation. Gamatsu relays a translation of an interview Ueda gave with Japanese gaming magazine Weekly Famitsu, in which he says they're prototyping the idea and that he and his team aren't interested in making a small indie game, but something on scale with his previous last three games, all renowned in the PlayStation ecosystem. Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, and The Last Guardian. This new game is unrelated to his previous works and isn't a sequel of any kind. Cole Bullis wrote into us and said, With the news this week that the next game from Fumito Ueda is in development, I think now is a good time to start a betting pool on when the game will be released. Based on Ueda's history, my money is now not seeing this game until 2022 at the earliest. What do you guys think? You are a, an avowed fan of Ueda, at least one of his games, Shadow yeah. of the Colossus. Do you like Eco? I like aspects of Eco. I didn't really care for like the gameplay of it, but I really love the the atmosphere of it, and I love the look of it. I love the, the aesthetic of all their games, to be honest. It's just like a really pretty kind of old world scale to it that I really liked. But Eco, I don't know. I like Eco more than Last Guardian. Shadow of the Colossus is like pristine. Um, but this this I, I'm excited about this. I'm really happy. Well, I'm interested too. When do you think it will come out? For for people that don't know, Eco is 2001, Shadow of the Colossus is 2005. Yeah. And Last Guardian, Last Guardian was... is 2017. Yes. So, something close to that, yeah. 
So four years between projects and then 12 years between projects. Yeah. I don't know that it'll be this extreme again. I'm kind of surprised. I know Ueda is very well respected and obviously an auteur of his own, you know, a mighty kind of creator at that level for a lot of people. And that's great. I couldn't imagine him walking into a room where I was investing in anything being like, we don't, I don't want anything to do with what you're doing simply because there's a timeline issue with you that, you know, we're going to lose our shirts. It's not the stuff you're creating. It's how long it takes you to create it. That's yeah. a problem for me. I'll do you one further. I think we're going to see the game next generation, but we're not going to see it until the, the generation that succeeds it. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> if the trend continues, we went from four to 12. What's next? Like, I don't know, 28? Tw- they're going to play it on Elon Musk's moon rocket. <laughs> It'll be the one game that they send on, <laughs> on, on Mars. Yeah, we'll be interested yet. I think 2022, per his inquiry, I think that that's a safe no sooner than. But who knows? I don't think they're going to have that dev cycle again. I think that was largely a fluke based on probably a lot of things. That generation was also just a, an odd generation, the PS3. I think you'll probably see it on the, on the PS5. It won't take nearly as long. We shall see. It says everything that Sony doesn't want anything to do with wrapping that up. So I mean, Dreams exists. Yeah, well... And it actually exists, so... Well, that's what they tell me. Number eight. Square Enix announced the salvo of Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy-related games coming to both Xbox One and Switch, most of which are already on PS4, so the peasants on those other platforms can now have them. But they announced a couple of games that haven't yet come to PS4, but will in the coming months. World of Final Fantasy Maxima is set to launch on PS4 on November 8th, according to VG247, while Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon Everybody is coming to PS4 sometime in the winter, according to Gamatsu. World of Final Fantasy Maxima is an upgraded and enhanced version of World of Final Fantasy, which launched in the fall of 2016, while Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon is a re-release of a 2007 Wii game from the Final Fantasy Fables subseries. So you can look forward to that, I guess. I'm excited. I played World of Final Fantasy very briefly on Vita. wasn't for me. Number nine, just in case you were worried, Bethesda's Pete Hines has confirmed to website Metro that Bethesda is going to continue with Machine Games' Wolfenstein series. When pressed on if the developer will do a third game in its spin on the franchise, Hines says, quote, Yeah, sure, absolutely, we're making a Wolfenstein 3, end quote. That's good news, considering Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus, seems to have sold somewhat softly, even though it was a great game. Machine Games' run of Wolfenstein games began in 2014 with Wolfenstein The New Order, which was followed up by a full-length DLC spinoff, The Old Blood, in 2015, which was phenomenal. Wolfenstein Youngblood is set to come out in 2019 and appears to be an Old Blood-style spinoff for the new Colossus. Wolfenstein Cyberpilot is also under development and will be playable on VR. So they're continuing, which is great. That's cool. I hope that, I hope they can rectify some of their design decisions because Wolfenstein, I really like the new Wolfenstein games, but they also they always strike me as like Call of Duty on veteran difficulty that wants you to play it like it's Doom. You know? Right. It, it wants you to be like enveloped in this fantasy of like just like laying waste to nazis but you're a fragile little baby there's something about it that's like really weird to me yeah i don't know the second one didn't strike me as much as the first one did i thought the old one was awesome like i really really loved it i like these full-length full-fledged dlc packs that they do at machine games so it's cool that they'll do wolfenstein 3 and hopefully yeah no, wrap that's up awesome. the trilogy i'm happy about that certainly the settings of the new Colossus were really cool. I won't spoil it for anyone, but you go to another planet and it's pretty neat. The story's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. I love the story. It's outrageous. <laughs> There's some really great scenes in it. Yeah. Do you know that the only way to beat the game on the hardest difficulty is to do it in one sitting without dying? And that there are videos of people doing it. And I watched one and I'm like, this is incredible. This is incredible, incredible gameplay, gamesmanship. 
because that's insane. I when didn't I saw that. that trophy, I'm like, fuck you. You know, I'm not. I have the platinum in the new blood and what is it? The old blood and then yeah, the new blood and the old blood. The first two, I have platinum trophies in both of them. And in this one, I'm like, yeah, I'll get the. And I'm like, not even a prayer. I'm yeah. doing that. That's too, that's too much. You could get three and a half, four hours into the campaign and get killed, and then that's it. And you have to do it all over again. There's and there's no way. There's no auto saving. There's no way to manipulate it. That sounds like hell. Number 10. The minds behind the Danganronpa and Zero Escape franchises have joined forces, creating a new studio in Japan to- called 2Q Games. Word comes by way of Polygon, by way of a live stream out of Japan that introduced the new team and their equally new projects. The team's plans are unclear, though they, re- they reveal that they have four games currently under development, with the most important, highest priority project, a direct collaboration between Kazutaka Kodaka, the creator of Danganronpa, and Gitaro Yuchikoshi, the creator of Zero Escape. That's pretty big news if you're into those visual novels and those weird games, which I am. I love Danganronpa. And I had Kazutaka Kodaka at my apartment in San Francisco to record some stuff with him. He's a really nice dude. Like a really friendly... And he's younger than I am and he already did all this amazing shit in that series and is very rich. So, good for him. That's cool. Do you like the visual novels? Like the weird Japanese quirky anime <laughs> no. novels? They're fun. They're fun. <laughs> no. Dude, Danganronpa is so fun. <laughs> no. Oh, you should... Nah. I, I mean, I talked about this... In I think our Q and A thing when when you were interviewing me yeah I, was that like an exclusive that was a Patreon, was a Patreon exclusive. exclusive you guys yeah. can listen to that on Patreon right now I was now. talking a little bit about how the anime art style in general just kind of like saps me of it it just like hurts me I don't know what I don't know if it's like from cringy friends that I had in middle school who were obsessed with it that just like did the Naruto run <laughs> in person live action and you just look at it and you're like ah oh, I don't want I don't want to be here <laughs> I don't want to be that. <laughs> It just freaks me out a little bit. That's not necessarily true, though, because I like Chrono Trigger. Sure. So, I don't know. Yeah, there's an exception to every rule. But Danganronpa, because I'm not into anime at all, and I don't play a lot of the very nerdy NIS Axis, you know, X-Seed games. I don't. But I really love Danganronpa. It's totally sadistic and totally weird and incredibly Japanese. But you can take a little bit of that every once in a while. Yeah. Take your medicine. Maybe it's it's been a while. I could probably jump in. Number 11, Xbox 360 Square Enix JRPG The Last Remnant is being remastered and it's launching on PlayStation 4 on December 6th. The Last Remnant launched on Xbox 360 in 2008 and quietly received a PC port the following year. This is a somewhat significant announcement because The Last Remnant was supposed to come to PS3 nearly a decade ago, though the port never saw the light of day, likely because The Last Remnant didn't quite light the world on fire critically or commercially. The PS4 remaster will cost $20 upon release. I recall writing the strategy guide for this game back in the day. I don't really remember much more about it. And this was of the era, as people might remember, when Xbox 360 and Microsoft were recording tons of JRPGs. There were tons of JRPGs, you know, Blue Dragon and this Mm -hmm. and Tales of Vesperia. They were really quite aggressive to get the console to kind of stick in the Japanese market and obviously didn't work. But I do credit Microsoft for trying and they definitely put their money where their mouth was to get these games. So The Last Remnant has never been on PlayStation and now will be on PlayStation 4 in December. So please look forward to it. Number 12, it looks like PS3 and Xbox 360 JRPG Resonance of Fate is getting re-released on PlayStation 4. Word comes by way of Push Square, which points to a trademark filing posted on gaming website Pop Bastion. The filing is rather clear and is unlikely to be a mistake, so expect word on a Resonance of Fate PS4 port in the coming weeks or months. Resonance of Fate was initially launched in early 2010 and is a steampunk-infused JRPG developed by Japanese studio Triace, the team best known for the Star Ocean franchise. Star Ocean, of course, being very good. And finally, wrapping things up, Chris, number 13... Gamatsu reports that mystery adventure game Deathmark launches on both PS4 and Vita on October 31st, and that horror game Silver Chains is coming to PS4 in the spring of 2019. Beautiful-looking 2D Metroidvania Time Spinner is coming to PlayStation 4 and PS Vita on September 25th. 
Tetris Effect has a release window according to Push Square and will launch on PS4 and PSVR in November of this year. And finally, Black Ops 4's beta pushed its Battle Royale Blackout mode to a full 100 players, indicating that you'll see 100 players instead of the previously announced 80 when the game launches, though that has not yet been confirmed. Hmm. And that's it for the news. Chris, shall we read the new game releases? Yes. Why don't you kick off this week? All right. <clears throat> 8-Bit Armies comes to PS4 retail Friday release. Uh, welcome to the fast-paced combat of 8-Bit Armies. Collect resources, build up, and defend your base. Research devastating super weapons and crush your opponents in an epic clash of firepower. Anodyne comes to PlayStation 4. Immersed in a moody, dreamlike soundtrack, explore a world full of natural, urban, and abstract environments, solving puzzles and defeating enemies with a broom. Ooh. Brooms are fun. Well, there's something. <laughs> Usually they're seldom... There's something I said. <laughs> they said there's seldom. They might like, be seldom. I don't know. I've I have se- one. I've not, I haven't seen a broom in years. <laughs> <laughs> I like adjust my glasses. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Blind comes to PSVR. Blind is a narrative-driven psychological thriller for virtual reality. Where the for virtual reality, where the player is blind and must explore their surroundings using echolocation. But if you're blind, that sounds kind why of interesting. Need, it does, but couldn't you just do that with headphones without? <laughs> It seems almost offensive, like a blind person like clicks everywhere they go. <laughs> Capcom beat em up bundle comes to PlayStation 4. We just talked about this. Relive the glory days of cooperative arcade games with the Capcom beat em up bundle. This comprehensive collection includes seven classic games, each with various multiplayer options, online capabilities, and detailed galleries. The Door comes to PSVR Friday release. Hold up in a secret lab in the dark forest, Dr. Jacob devoted himself to researching the lab he created to treat his terminally ill daughter. One day, he is trapped in the lab and everything begins to change. I could have sworn this next one we already read, but I guess it got pushed back. Downward oh, yeah. Spiral Horror Station comes to PSVR. Downward Spiral Horror Station is a mysterious and atmospheric zero-gravity thriller set in the lost and forgotten Horror Station. Stop making me say it. <laughs> we did read this. Fishing Sim World comes to PS4 at retail. Fishing Sim World is the most authentic fishing simulator ever made. Feel the adrenaline rush of landing a trophy largemouth bass and the thrill of uh, fighting huge carp on monst- and monster pike. It doesn't seem that realistic when you're fighting huge yeah, carp. fighting? You're going to punch him in the face? <laughs> Here's this giant enemy crab. It's very I authentic pu- and real. I would punch a fish in the face if I could. If you like, if you ripped a bass I mean, out of the water, they don't feel pain, so it's fine. And you just held it by its tail. I just, I'd punch it right in its face. Is that a face. fact? Do fish not feel pain? Is that a thing? I think we tell ourselves that to make ourselves feel better. They must feel pain. How else do they know that something's wrong? I don't know. They don't know anything. Isn't that what pain's all about? We don't have to feel. We we feel pain to alert us that something is off. Ah, eh, fish don't know anything. Fucking stupid fish. <laughs> Although I said I saw your tweet about octopus. What? Did you, did you tweet out something about about? Oh octopus? yeah, no, they're terrifying. I don't like them. They're apparently incredibly intelligent. Yeah, no, it's not okay. 
I, th- I believe that they're going to be the first animal that murders a person intentionally with, like, firearms. <laughs> like, because they're too smart. They wrap their little thing very softly they around They take the... machines apart and put them back together, like, for real. Like, Do they they're, really? Yeah, they're gross. It's not okay. It's that, you got to keep that, an eye on them. It's that big, bulbous head of theirs. Yeah. The Gardens Between comes to PS4. It's a Thursday release. The Gardens Between is a surreal puzzle adventure that follows best friends Arena and Frent as they fall into a mysterious world of beautiful garden islands. Hover, Revolt of Gamers, comes to PS4. Experience the thrills of a fast-paced, single- and multiplayer parkour game. Assemble your team, enhance your gear, and perform incredible tricks and combos. Gonna pass on that. Labyrinth of Refrain, Coven of Darkness, comes to PS4 Retail. Dusk Witch, Dusk Witch Dronia and her young apprentice Luca have come to Refrain to conquer the sprawling labyrinth deep beneath the town. Wondrous treasures, terrifying monsters, and buried secrets awaits. Why are towns and villages always being built near extraordinarily huge towers that need to be scaled full of monsters or <laughs> labyrinths that are underground? It's like building it over an Iroquois burial ground. It's probably like a good view, I guess, raises the property value. You could see all sorts of demons. <laughs> you got to be more careful. Yeah. That was, uh, that was Labyrinth you just read? Dude, there's another fishing game. Yeah, look at that. Legendary Fishing comes to PS4 retail. Experience the thrill of catching over 20 different types of fish, from king salmon to largemouth bass. Includes unlockable gear, missions, multiple destinations, and hours of fun, solo or with friends and family. Now, not to be facetious, but this is exactly what I'm talking about, Chris. Why didn't Sony tell these two developers, hey, we release like one fishing game a year. Maybe you guys can separate yourselves a little bit from each other, and we can help one of you if one of you agree not to go at the same time. Guarantee you, both of them knew that the other was going when they saw the drop. What about the guy who has a PlayStation who only likes fishing games and hasn't bought a game in years, who now suddenly has two incredible things to look forward to in one week? That's true. Did you ever think about that guy, Colin? No, I didn't. You ever think about these these people, the people who need this the most? You've amply shamed me. I appreciate that. (laughs) My Brother Rabbit comes to PS4 Friday release, an adventure set in a surreal world that mixes reality with a child's imagination. A young sick girl is left with her brother when her parents set out to find treatment. These children must learn to cope together through the power of imagination. Neon Wall comes to PSVR. And we read this one already, too, yeah. right? Yeah, both we'll say it on? I don't know. They must have gotten pushed back. Hmm. Escape your way out of Neon Wall by solving puzzles and overcoming a variety of challenging levels. Over the course of the game, you will need a combination of skill, concentration, and precision. To be victorious. RGX Showdown comes to PlayStation 4. It's you against the world as you race through traffic and teeth-gritting edge-of-your-seat street races. Climb the ranks, unlock cars and customizations, and claim your championship title. Wow, Scribblenauts. Mm. I haven't heard... I haven't seen this in a long time. Scribblenauts Mega Pack comes to PS4 at retail. Uh, Get the best of Scribblenauts with Scribblenauts Mega Pack. Two classic games with all new content. Use the power of your imagination to solve exciting uh, puzzles in interesting ways. In endless ways. I'm I'm going crazy. (laughs) He's losing his mind. I'm losing my mind over here. Scribblenauts was fun, by the way. Yeah, it was. It's an oldie. Yeah. Speed Brawl comes to PlayStation 4. Speed Brawl is a 2D combat racer about moving fast and hitting hard. Maintain your momentum, build your combos, and unleash powerful special moves. Then do it all again faster. Faster. Faster! That's what it says. That's actually how it's written. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Splody. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great. I'm already in love with that. Splody comes to PS4. Classic couch competitive bomb dropping action gameplay brought into the modern era. Place bombs. Get out of the way. 
destroy your friends, collect power-ups, explode your way to victory in a variety of game modes adapted for smooth multiplayer. It's a lot of things you're doing in Splody. I like the name. Yeah, it is good. <laughs> it's good. Toon War comes to PlayStation 4. It's a Thursday release. Your mission is to liberate peaceful villages from evil forces, eliminate enemies, and win over dangerous bosses. Toon War is a twin-stick shooter game with colorful and vivid graphics. Uh, I just got a call from New Jersey. <laughs> uh... Transference comes to PSVR. Jump into an escape room set in a deranged mind and experience a first-person exploration game in a chilling new dimension. Shift between three perspectives and attempt to unravel the mystery hiding in this mind-bending psychological thriller. Trickster VR Dungeon Crawler comes to PSVR, a procedurally generated fantasy adventure starring floating islands, epic loot, and a horde of orcs. Try your skills against orc combat expertise, ancient magic, and ragtag airships. Unearthing Mars 2 comes to PSVR. As deputy commander in the Unearthing Mars mission, you are trying to unravel the secrets hidden in the Phobos fragment. Through the ARC device, experience a war across space and return to the Earth and Mars of ancient times. And finally, Warface comes to PS4. Warface is a contemporary first-person shooter with millions of fans around the world. Four unique classes with special skills, teamwork, exciting PvE missions, and full raids. Various PvP modes and does it with dozens of maps. Play for free. Is this a, a sequel or a remaster? I remember hearing a, that name a long time ago. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just a port of the existing PC game, I would assume. Huh. But unknown. Now, Chris, I have to wrap up the episode 11 questions from the audience that I thought would be appropriate mm -hmm. for us today. Let's do it. So let's get into them. Yeah. Alex Ettinger says, hey, Colin and Chris. This past week, both Deadspin and Kotaku released similar articles regarding the NYPD and Spider-Man. I don't so much want to discuss that, but wanted to hear what your guys' video game journalist hot takes are. Is Doomguy the embodiment of toxic masculinity? Why not Goddess of War? Would love to hear your guys have, have a say. As always, make Tuesdays great again. You tweeted about this. You saw this. Yeah. I liked your tweet. I enjoyed it. I don't remember what I said on Twitter. I think you... <laughs> Tweeted at Kotaku's article oh, yeah, okay, and, yeah. and said, please shut the fuck up or something like that. I'm just, listen, I'm just really sick of, this is bleeding into everything, I think, especially like even TV and like cartoon. Every time I turn on BoJack Horseman, it's like, or like, hey, new new show out. It's BoJack Horseman. Guess what? Things are depressing. Every turn on Rick and Morty. Hey, uh, things are depressing. Everything's depressing and everything needs to have like a weird political point to it. And I don't. I don't get it. I shouldn't have to turn on Full House, the Full House reboot series, and be inundated with a Trump joke in the first episode. I just want to escape. I want to get away from this stuff. I play Spider-Man not because I'm looking for an in-depth critique on how corrupt the NYPD is. By the way, in the beginning of Spider-Man, you are you, you, one of your first fights is with dirty cops who are under the Kingpin's payroll. Calm down. I just, I just want to enjoy a video game. Amen. Amen. I think that there's a time and place for anything in a video game. And if they're one... Oh, yeah. No. If, if, yep. Yeah. If they're going to make a video game and talk about these, I'm totally fine. This is a bunch of great political games. Bioshock, you know, is great. Great. It has a bunch of commentary in it, you know? But do we have to hyperanalyze everything that isn't and shame it for not being that? You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. And I think that what troubled me about the ridiculous story on Kotaku that I tweeted out about too and that people were kind of you know retweeting and liking because I think a lot of people are tired of what you're saying is 
I found it quite endearing in a different side of the story in Spider-Man. For, and I think I noted this in my review, and certainly in, when we talked about the game, I think I said it. I like that Spider-Man, unlike Batman, for instance, kind of works with the cops, is kind of beloved by his community. It shows a different kind of, you know, society, a different edge of the cops, a, a, a grateful and kind of vulnerable, you know, edge to the cops, if you even want to look at it like yeah, that. I don't it's it's also to... just a hopeful kind of weirdly uplifting universe to be in. And I don't want it being bogged down but. <laughs> Ah, calm down. Play a game. Play a game and enjoy it, please. It's obnoxious just because these writers on these websites, most of whom, frankly, don't really have interesting thoughts and much talent outside of a small handful of them that write actually compelling content, need to draw clicks and need to draw you oh, know, yeah. people's eyeballs by outraging people. And when you publish something like that and you have nothing else interesting to really say about any games because you don't know very much about them or whatever the case might be, then this is the kind of shit you end up with. And I just like the fact that, you know... People are seeing this stuff for what it is, and the adversarial relationship between these outlets and their audiences is not a figment of anyone's imagination. It actually exists, and we don't have an adversarial relationship with our audience, and there's a reason for that, because we talk to you like you're fucking adults, and it doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everything you, we say. It's not that every one of our takes is going to be accurate or right on or that we don't share or do share political views. It's that we don't have to beat you over the head and try to kind of almost diminish or ruin or what if or second guess experiences that people are really enjoying. And that's what the Spider-Man thing was all about to me. And I thought it was weird and it's, it's just tone deaf and it's stupid. No one cares. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's like no one cares. No one went into Spider-Man except for these people with access to grind with, you know, an agenda. Yeah. And just how are you surprised? How does it surprise you that Spider-Man fights crime? What? What kind of a take is this? Like, did they want to have, like, a whole commentary on, you know, terrible police brutality or something like that? Is this the place, a Spider-Man game? You know, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, it, it just doesn't seem like the place or time. And, you know, to his question, because he asked, like, what is our kind of hot take and, like, what, you know, like, Goddess of War and stuff? It's like, the fact of the matter is, is I have no problem with games doing whatever they want to oh, do. Oh, yeah. And I always like when people throw things back in my face, being like, look at this, like, thinking that I'm, like, mortally offended by shit, which I'm not. Yeah. When they're like, look at this, you know, oh... You would never play Gone Home, whatever. And I'm like, oh, newsflash, Gone Home is one of my favorite games of the last five or six years. I love that game. And yeah, it's about a lesbian relationship. <gasps> yeah. I can't believe it. No, don't do that. Yeah, no it's one like, would begrudge a game for doing it. It's just like shaming a game for not doing it. It just seems so petty and dumb and, and obviously like clickbaity. They're just trying to clickbait people. When you get writers like this writer at Kotaku and others, that's all they do is try to bait people. That's yeah. it. And we take the bait all the time because it's fun to take the bait sometimes. But often I don't take the bait. Jeff wrote into us and said, hey, guys, feel free to avoid pronouncing my name. Now, his name is S-K-O-N-I-E-C-Z-N-Y. Skonezny? Jeff Skonezny? Skonezny? Yeah, something Skonezny? like that. It's like, it sounds Russian almost. Yeah. I'm just going to call you Jeff. Yeah. Do you think Sony <laughs> would ever forego the extravagant E3 PSX productions and adopt Nintendo Direct style presentations? For that matter, if Sony were to adopt that approach, would their directs generate as much hype as Nintendo's? It seems like an efficient way to control the message year-round while also highlighting smaller indie games that may get buried on PSN. What is your feeling on this? I think it's probably going to happen at some point. I think E3 is probably on the way out eventually, right? It's got to be. Which sucks for me because I actually really like E3. It's kind of like my Super Bowl as somebody who doesn't really care for sports at all. It's kind of like an excuse to gather friends around and just like sit around and like watch <laughs> some, some cool stuff. And also some like really cringy things. Uh, it's, it's entertaining, honestly. It is like a, it's a huge thing of entertainment for me. The E3 thing. 
but I could see at some point in the probably near future, maybe in the next maybe five years, I would expect more direct style presentations from Sony and Microsoft, especially as streaming becomes a lot more easy and cost effective. I, I like the idea of them controlling the message, which is fine for them. There's something slick and something exciting and something that forces people to gather when Nintendo does Nintendo Directs and it creates, it's a community building exercise as well, because you don't only look for the one or two shows a year, but you know that Nintendo can tweet out at any time, we're going to do this on this date for this game. And I think Sony should absolutely mm-hmm. do something like that. It doesn't mean you have to forego forever your live shows, but it does say that you can supplement by communicating better with the audience. And I'm shocked that they don't communicate better with the audience. Sony's just absolutely awful, actually, at it. And the litany of PSN games that we just read off, none of which are going to sell more than a few thousand copies, probably, is all you need to know about that. I think that it would benefit everyone to kind of draw people in and create that sense of community. And, you know, they do that with their podcast, but their podcast is like, they can't say anything bad about any games. They can't be, you know... Yeah. Not that you would do that on a Nintendo Direct either, but it's just not the solution. You want something tight, five minutes long, ten minutes long, that shows you what's up. I'd love to see them do that. Griffin West wrote in and said, Hey guys, loving the show as always. Colin, you have long said that gameplay is king. I was wondering how this statement relates to the Sony exclusives this year, considering you think Detroit is better than both God of War and Spider-Man. I think most would agree that Detroit has the least engaging or in-depth gameplay of the three. So what makes this a better overall title? Whether it's story, atmosphere, characters, etc., does this circumstance mean gameplay is not always king if other factors are sufficiently well done? I'd like to hear what both of you think regarding gameplay in video games and how it relates to the overall quality of a title in 2018, where there seems to be many other factors in play. Thanks so much for all the hard work you do. It really shows in all the work you publish. Thank you so much, Griffin, for your question. I think people misunderstand it. You're looking at it through the wrong lens, let's say. Gameplay as king means, or gameplay as king means, that playing the game is fundamentally sound. It doesn't mean that the game has to be complicated. It doesn't mean that it has to have tons of mechanics or be difficult or grueling. The gameplay in Detroit is actually quite satisfying because you're walking around exploring things and then have a limited amount of time and conversations to make decisions and to kind of go about your business. And that is gameplay. And I think that it nails what it's trying to do. Detroit isn't trying to be God of War. So to compare it in a gameplay perspective, it would be weird to me. Mm. Gameplay does have a traditional stance in terms of action, in terms of immersion and all those kinds of things. And I think Chris will be able to speak to this. But I think Detroit's gameplay for what it was trying to do, it was quite spot on and actually shockingly good. And so I just kind of want to walk back people from that ledge of thinking that gameplay means action. It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. Gameplay is the way you interface with the game. And I think Detroit's gameplay was quite solid. What do you think? I think it's fair. I think I would kind of agree with him. I think there's a lot about Detroit that is built on immersing you in a a story and immersing you in a world and immersing you in characters. And (laughs) there are points where the gameplay just doesn't allow you to do certain things that would be apt to do in those moments like why aren't i running in this moment that's very high stakes (laughs) and i should really should be hurrying or why uh you know when the camera angles shift and there's this awkward thing where the character just turns around real quick and it's like it feels detroit feels really clunky to me which is why like i feel like the gameplay is not quite as as refined as spider-man or as god of war i think gameplay is king if it did what it was supposed to do then that's fine enough but for me i need i need something a little bit more engaging than immersion necessarily i think that's what it is i think detroit is very focused on immersive gameplay rather than satisfying gameplay. right i just want us to get away from because i think you're right but yeah. i want us to get away from this almost holier than thou not that we do it but a lot of gamers have this holier than thou attitude about 
walking simulators, for instance, or choice-based games. Right. People diminish, you know, uh, not that Zoe Quinn, for instance, is a well-liked member of, of games, but she made that game Depression Quest, which I didn't play, but I've looked at gameplay of it, and it's basically just text, and it kind of just goes. I don't understand why that's any less of a game. A, games can be any number of things. Axis and Allies and Monopoly are both board games. They both have gameplay. They're both relevant in what they do. They're both good at what they're Yeah, it doesn't to need do. to be action-heavy. I, yeah. I think I've always kind of operated on the assumption that what makes a game a game is the ability to lose and, a, and kind of a fail-safe. Uh, not a fail-safe, a fail-state. If you can't lose or if you can't... If there's no fail-state, then it's not really a game. I think that's pretty fair. Or at least there has to be some sort of competition between you and the AI, you and other players, that is also kind of quintessential to that definition. I don't necessarily care whether or not you call Gone Home a game or whether or not you call any walking simulator that doesn't have a failsafe a game. Failsafe? Why do I keep saying failsafe? It's, it's funner to say. Oh, I'm playing Destiny 2 and there's a character named Failsafe in it. Damn it. That's what it is. I think there's a bit of a holier-than-thou kind of aspect to the culture at large about like what is and isn't, but I know what I consider. And I don't really care <laughs> what other people think. I'm of the same mind where I just think that play the games that make you happy yeah. and interface with them in a way that makes you happy. Like people that are always saying like, well, they're making games easier are these modes like Mega Man 11 has like modes in the demo where my mm. girlfriend was able to play it where like you basically can't die. And I'm like, does that really affect your enjoyment of the game? Like just play the game you want to play and let people play the game they want to play. Accessibility isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it yeah. doesn't diminish the core or hardcore experience. So I just don't like that we talk about games as a community in such a divisive manner where this is a game, but this isn't a game. This is gameplay, but this isn't gameplay. I really do feel like you just have to be more granular about it. Mm -hmm. Just as a Monet is a painting right next to a, a Bob Ross painting that was mass produced. They're both paintings. It's a matter of like the technique. It's a matter of your enjoyment. It's a matter of the sophistication, timing, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially as games get like way more complicated. I think uh, so too should our definitions. But there's an interesting conversation to be had about like, like is a DVD menu a game? Because it's interactive. Sure. You know? That's fair. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it really matters all that much. If something's good, it's good is how I look at it. Absolutely. Know. And I think Gone Home for the fact that Gone Home can literally be beaten in a minute. But even if you played Gone Home the way that it was meant to be played and you take like 60 to 90 minutes, I think that's a fantastic game and a fantastic experience. Now, there is no gameplay. I could literally let it run on my PC for a year and nothing will happen. And yeah. so to your point, there is no fail state. Right. So, well, yeah, yeah. The game will crash fair. eventually, maybe. But that's fair. Yeah. So I want to get away from the divisive nature of the way we categorize games and kind of be more inclusive with them because I do think that there are many different kinds of games for many different kinds of players. I'm not one of these people that thinks, you know, like the statistics came out. I, I know people are harping on these statistics forever that there are more women player gaming gamers than men or whatever. And this was like a big statistic. And I'm like, we all know that that's not true. You're looking at, yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like mobile and right. You're looking at mobile and casual and Facebook gaming or whatever. But then on the other side but of the coin, who cares what a gamer is right. Exactly. On the other side of the coin, that I'm word like, makes well, me cringe now. <laughs> well, that's exactly right, because on the other side of the coin, when that stack came out, I was like, well, that's demonstrably ridiculous. I work in this industry. We know who reads our sites. We know who looks at our videos, all those kinds of things, listens to the podcast. But I'm like, why do I have agency over what the word gamer means? If someone plays Farmville and that's predominantly female, then that is playing a video game. And what is it? It doesn't really affect me at all. So, yeah, that's my point. Yeah, that's fair. Gold wrote in and said, hello, Colin and Chris. Loving the show. I was wondering if Colin could speak a little on his thoughts on Danganronpa V3. 
I have been looking forward to your thoughts since the game's announcement at PSX 2016. P.S. Colin, if you haven't played it due to the timing of its release and your leave from video games, let me know here and I'll stop asking. Well, I wanted to bring this up, Gold, because I've not played Danganronpa V3 yet, but it is on the list. I heard it's great. I heard it's not as good as the first two. We'll see how it goes when I get to it, but I will certainly let you know when we get to it on this show. Two Danganronpa references on this show. David Held said, Will the increasing development time to make games affect the longevity of future console generations? What is actually making development time last longer as the technology improves? What do you think about this? This is interesting because... Games take way longer to make now, so is it necessary to let platforms gestate and remain on the market longer to accommodate the longer development cycle, do you think? I hadn't thought about that at all. Me neither. Well, think about it. We got three Crash Bandicoot games and Crash Team Racing all on PS1 in like four years. That would be impossible to even put one game out of the so-called AAA quality that so-called Crash Bandicoot was at at that time. You understand what I'm saying? So it does... I think begs our, the question. I, yeah, I think our standards are increasing. I think our, the complexity of engines and just the sheer amount of detail that needs to be put into a game now to make it look AAA, that's not auto-generated in most cases. That's like, you know, that's artists going through the, the world and putting like a plant here and like making sure that plant has like every individual like leaf te- fully textured and like bitmapped. You know, there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of artistry that takes a lot of time. I think there's a lot of, just the sheer complexity of the games that we're making now has a lot of variables that probably mess around with the code quite a bit, especially when you try to change certain things. I'd imagine multiplayer is another huge thing that's an issue. And we also just expect more from sequels. I know I do. When a sequel to a game that I really love comes out, I want it to be reminiscent of what i've what i expect but i also wanted to look different enough that it looks like a sequel like it looks like an up like an upgrade we didn't really have that during crash bandicoot because there wasn't really so much of a wide understanding of what an engine was among the general gaming populace i would assume that that's probably the case i didn't know what the hell an engine was well it goes back to the day of when we thought that capcom made every game that had capcom's name on it or yeah yeah like there was no such thing as developers but even just like crash one and two or crash two and three specifically those that's the same game with, like, different textures and, like, new stuff added to it. It's, it's basically DLC when you look at it from, like, a current standard, you know? Should that lead to a longer console life? I don't know if it should. Probably will, though. I think it will out of the necessity of developers asking for more time because if you're investing in architecture and building an engine, whether proprietary or using an engine, trying to get it run on a certain piece of hardware, and you really only have one shot before the new console gets out, that's really going to be quite distressing to AAA development because... Yeah. They spend so much time on engine work and on middleware work, and the middleware is really important too, yeah. that they want to be able to iterate on that two or three times because once they nail it, like with Spider-Man is a great example, we keep talking about it, but with Spider-Man, Insomniac has gotten 80% of the work of the sequel out of the way. I don't mean that literally, I don't mean that they have to just do 20% of work to get a sequel done, but like the shit that they really had to focus on, rendering the city, getting Spider-Man to feel right moving around, getting a steady frame rate. They built a foundation. Yeah, it's all there. So for them to then have to throw it away or port it to a new console can be problematic. It might not be as bad because of the PC-level architecture that's within the consoles and will be within the next consoles. It bears the reason and it stands to reason that PS4 games will just run natively on PS5 with no problem because it'll be kind of similar yeah. architecture, just beefed up. But you know, he asked a, a different question that I wanted to speak to David asks, what is actually making development times last longer as the technology improves? I think Chris spoke a lot to this, but our expectations are becoming better. Like Chris said that he expects things out of sequels. He expects more out of a sequel. It's just more complicated to make games and to reach this standard 
that developers are setting. Like, if The Last of Us didn't come out, then people wouldn't look at that as a benchmark, but they do, and so they want to surpass it. In sports, you see games like FIFA or NBA 2K hitting that benchmark, and so others want to pass it. The, the things you hear about the development cycles of previous games and how quickly they were made, like I've talked about Final Fantasy IV was made in like a year. That's like insane. I don't know how that's even possible. Yeah. You know, that's that's absurd. Meanwhile, it took like almost you 10 could get years. Away, you could get away with a lot back then, and people didn't really care as much about you know, fidelity or like whether or not this texture was reused a certain amount of times. Now that's that kind of thing is like that's a headline, you know. We just saw it. We just saw oh they took out a puddle. <laughs> they took out a puddle from Spider Man. That became a huge deal. Puddle gate. That was a thing Jeez. that happened over a puddle. You have to assume that a lot of developers are taking a lot of time to make sure that okay, well we're gonna make sure that we have a lot of variety in this game. We we have to make sure that no wall looks the same. Or if if or if any wall looks the same it needs to look good you know there's a lot of stuff that we didn't really care about because like in the ps1 days we'd have a hallway that was literally the same texture with the same stain on the wall over and over again and that was like fine it's like whatever it's a ps1 game we have we have way different standards now yep expectations are different and i think that's why it's just more complicated to make games yeah andy donahue wrote in said hi guys the show is awesome thank you keep up the great work we will i was wondering what are your thoughts on youtube influencers and how they are possibly affecting the success of new games that come to market from what I see, large publishers like Activision, Epic Games, and EA, in a roundabout way, pay these guys to push, promote, and advertise their games on YouTube. But influencers will mostly only upload what get them more views. So although a new game might be a fantastic game, it might not get the notoriety it deserves. I hope I explained this right. It sounded perfect in my head. Anyway, thanks for all you do. How do you feel about this influencer kind of society and community? I guess we're both kind of part of it in a yeah. way. Yeah. How do you feel about that? We could talk a little bit about how it all works if you want, but I'm curious what you think about the marketplace, the influencer marketplace, as it were. I think it's interesting that kids <laughs> who've stumbled into careers of this magnitude have a lot of sway over entire industries now. You only have to look so far as how many Battle Royale modes are coming out to understand just how important streaming is or streamers. Like, hey, look, Fortnite, Ninja. Ninja streaming Fortnite and he's just playing with Drake. It's like, oh, okay, well, we need... That's a lot of viewers. That's a lot of eyes on a game. We need to make a game that appeals to this pe this person or this group of people. Obviously, YouTube influencers are significantly more influential, I think, over their audiences than maybe websites are simply because of the more personalized nature of those fan bases. Like, people who are my fans are fans of me. If I were to make gaming content, they would have some level of understanding of what my tastes are. So they would gauge what they're getting out of me a lot more efficiently to, you know, make their own decisions. It's a tricky landscape, I think. It is, and it's set different expectations because I want my audience to trust me and to trust us. Yeah. And I'll be totally transparent. Like, I've talked to and kind of have an ad representative that's working on selling Sacred Symbols, which is why I told you guys last week I think that you can expect ads to be running on Sacred Symbols probably pretty soon. Not for patrons, but for the general feed, the public free feed. And it was important to me to relay to these people that I retain control of my IP and I say whatever I want. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who's sponsoring me, endemic or non-endemic, I'm going to say whatever I want. And the authenticity and the honesty that the audience can expect from us is ironclad. I'm never going to lie to you or puff you up or pull a punch to protect someone, even a friend, even a sponsor. And, you know, the first four episodes of Sacred Symbols were sponsored by East Asia Soft, who I'm buddies with. They're a publisher of mostly boutique PS4 and Vita games. And I've been working with them for a long time. 
And I talked to you guys very candidly, I think, in the first episode about how that relationship goes. And I talked to them candidly in the emails about how, like, I'm not going to say nice things or bad things about your products. I'm going to say what I need to say about your products so that the honesty is there. And I think that in parts of YouTube and in parts of podcasting, that kind of honesty and forthwith kind of nature with your audience doesn't exist. Yeah. And that erodes trust and confidence. Well, because a lot of people just kind of stumbled into this. Like, these aren't people who are working at outlets with the intention of, you know getting to a certain point where they can have their opinions on a game be validated by like an audience. These are people who just like a lot, a lot of YouTube influencers, especially just, just just stumbled in just like, Whoa, what? I don't think it's a huge number of the big guys. I don't think you're going to find a lot of game reviewers who are going to compromise their opinions, especially if they're YouTubers, because they, I mean, there's tons of brand deals that they could work out regardless. You know, it's not going to affect them all that much, but there's a lot of people maybe either just starting out or maybe who aren't necessarily familiar with the way this works, who probably could be easily swayed by, oh, hey, well, I got this free thing. That's tainted my opinion. It's definitely a weird <laughs> environment to exist in when you're trying to be as unbiased as possible. Sure. You have to just be true to yourself and be honest yeah. with yourself and see where the cards fall, but know that you never let the audience down. And I tell you when I have a relationship with someone off the bat, so you know, and I try to limit those relationships as well. I just have a lot more comfort in controlling the message. I mean, as Chris knows, like I turned down a pretty lucrative deal for this podcast that would have lasted a year yeah. simply because I couldn't retain control of the RSS feed of the podcast. I said, no, there's like no way that I'm doing that. Yeah. So I am all about retaining control, maintaining control, and maintaining trust between the audience. And if anything erodes any of that, then I have done my job incorrectly. So if you listen to the Guacamelee 2 video review I did and didn't get at the top that I talked about how I know them and I'm in the fucking credits, I try to tell you that. If you didn't listen to the you know, Spider-Man review and didn't get out of there that I know guys who made the game and you have to take what I say with a grain of salt, it's important for me to tell you that. We're always going to be honest and upright and I don't want game developer and game publisher money. I, I just... I'm not interested in that. I want access to the games. And if deals work out that make sense about things we can endorse and believe in or don't have to pull punches or just be agnostic, that's different. I don't begrudge anyone having some skepticism. Yeah. Because it is a very wild and wild west loose kind of atmosphere. 42420 says, A fond PlayStation memory of mine is the day Colin accepted my friend request on PS4. I know it doesn't mean much, but it's cool to see what games you've been playing recently. My question is for Chris. Are you open to maxing out your friends list? If you throw out your PSN ID, I and many others would happily send you friend requests. How do you feel about that? By I, the way, in my experience, it's totally cool. People just want to be your friend. Most people don't message me and I just oh, yeah, turn yeah. notifications off so can I don't you, see them anyway. Can you have your profile open? Just like open to like have just normal people well, you can see have, what you're doing? Yeah, well, you can have followers and then you can have... On PS4, you can have people follow you, and then you can have actual friends. You can have up to 2,000 friends, and then a seemingly infinite number of people can follow you. I think because I play a lot of multiplayer stuff, I like my friends list to be comprised of people that I intend to play games with, and that's usually people I know personally in real life or personally through the internet. So I don't necessarily accept friend requests from everybody. Also because that just like makes things tedious because... If I max out my friend request and then I want to add somebody, then I'm like, eh, I don't know. You got to delete someone. Yeah, yeah and, and I and I do that a lot because again, I I I am playing online games a lot. I know you don't, so it's kind of like a, I guess that kind of doesn't affect you at all. It's just people following me or friending me and seeing what I'm playing, looking at my trophies. It's nothing too crazy for me. It will be a little different for you for sure. Yeah, it it just seems to be more like a like a Facebook Messenger kind of deal where it's like I, I just want people that I I know in there. Nothing That's personal, by the way. That's fair. You know, I just like to... Fuck all you. That's what Chris just said. <laughs> you can follow me, though. I mean, uh, I'm open. I think my thing's open. Jono Peck wrote into us and said, what's going on, guys? Colin, 
I've heard you previously talk about never listening to podcasts and how this has avoided outside influences on your own podcasting style. However, I say in Boston accent. On last week's episode, you mentioned ha- having podcasts while you game. So I'm curious what when this changed, what podcasts you enjoy the most while you play. Thanks for making Wednesdays a great again. Time zones. Jono, of course, is in Australia. I never said that. I don't think, Jono. What I said was that I don't listen to video game podcasts and I don't. I don't listen to video game content at all. I don't yeah. watch video game YouTube channels. I don't watch video game anything, pretty much. It's very rare when I look at a video game YouTube video. So that's kept my content pretty original. But Mark Tully wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris. Colin, recently you've mentioned a few times that you like to listen to podcasts while you play games. And I was wondering which podcast in particular you enjoy. So we can answer this question two to one, right? We can bang both of these out. So I'm pulling up on my iPhone, my podcast list. These are the podcasts that I like to listen to. Okay. Or the ones that at least download to my phone. Mm-hmm. I listen to pro football talk almost every day with Mike Florio. That's like a three hour show. I listen to that constantly. I listen to the 538 podcast, the politics podcast. I listen to the Ben Shapiro show. Locked on Jets is my favorite Jets podcast that's on every day. My for, favorite Jets podcast. Yeah. Because I, I listen to other Jets so there's podcasts. Mo- so there's a myriad of Jets podcasts. Yeah. The Jet Stream is another Jets podcast I listen to. That's a good name. Yeah. Turn on the Jets is another Jets podcast I listen to. And then I listen to the NF show and the NFL show from The Ringer. I listen to This American Life. I listen to Around the NFL. I listen to Mark Marin, sometimes Ruben, sometimes Rogan, etc. So that's kind of like what I listen to. Do you have any input? Do you like listening to podcasts? I feel like I used to more than I do now. I used to listen to I used to listen to Marin. I, I used to listen to Bill Burr's show a lot. I, I've stopped listening to podcasts. I feel like now I mostly watch videos or like long. Long form videos, or maybe like, uh, oh, my friends Gus and Eddie have a podcast that I listen to actually. But I feel like I used my gaming time when I when I'm not paying that much attention to the game to just like catch up on videos that I probably should be watching, and I just kind of listen to them like their podcast. And if something catches my ears, like, oh, I should look at that. So yeah, my podcasts are just pretty much YouTube videos. <laughs> That's fair. But yeah, uh, Jono, just a, and I always mispronounce your name because I, I think it's Jono, and I say Jono, but I'm sorry. I I'm very bad with that shit. I don't think I, again, never said that I didn't listen to anything. Because remember, a lot of my shows have been incredibly influenced by sports coverage and political coverage specifically. So I've always listened to those things. But yeah, I've been more into the audio space as opposed to the video space in the last year or so. And those are the shows that I listen to. And I'm pretty religious about my football podcast specifically. I have many to listen to over the next week. Nielsen Chapman says, Colin and Chris, Celeste is a really great game. IGN gave it a 10 out of 10. I'm interested in either of your thoughts on the game or why you're not interested in playing it. I think Colin for sure would be interested in playing the game and grabbing collectibles and maybe putting it in the game of the year conversation. Do you both think it's overrated? Did you get to play Celeste? I didn't get a chance to play Celeste. It looks really good, though. It looks like it's something that's exactly up my alley. I got distracted, I think. For people that don't know, Matt Makes Games is the developer, which is Matt Thorson pretty much by himself. He's the guy who... What was that game he made? The Towerfall. Ascent, yeah. Towerfall and Towerfall Century made those games by himself, and Celeste is his next game. Came out earlier this year. It's platform agnostic. You can play it on other platforms, not only PS4. And it's a side scroller that's really about emotion and about sadness and about kind of finding your way, and it's very difficult. I played it for a few hours and I liked it a lot. I just never went back to it. I think the game of the year kind of amazing. I, I, don't, I don't see how it could possibly be in that conversation, but yeah. I do want to go back to it. It is on the immediate list of things that I need to go back to in December before Chris and I convene for game of the year because. I do want to give it a fair shake, but it's not for me. I do say Towerfall. Great Towerfall game. is a lot of fun. Yeah. Final question, Chris. Ooh. Greg Rygar, which is, I don't know if that's his real name or not. Rygar, of course, is the Rygar. classic late 80s NES game. 
Hey, fellas, I stumbled upon your podcast after not playing many games in recent years, but have since picked up Horizon Zero Dawn and I'm absolutely hooked. Very good choice, Mr. Rygar. My question is around Platinum Trophies. I grew up with the NES and always prided myself of being able to complete a game without referencing hits or a walkthrough. However, trying to obtain a Platinum Trophy without some sort of guide seems extremely rare. Is there no place in today's games for an elitist like myself? And that's what he said. He calls himself an elitist. Of course there is. Now, people like to talk about Platinums and walkthroughs and stuff, and I think there's no problem getting help, but there are a few games that I've Platinumed before the game even came out, so there was no way for me to get help on them. Yeah. So I think that there's places for you. People are very purist about it. It's what we go back and talked about earlier, Chris, where the entire economy of tr- trophies and platinum trophies have been diminished by people making easy platinums or double platinums and stuff like that. So yeah, this seems to be more for you, Mr. Rygar, a problem of your own making, and you just have to kind of solve it in your own head about how you want to play the game, quite literally. Do you want to play it without a walkthrough? Do you have a problem with using walkthroughs? Do you ever use them? I don't like to use them. I think I used them maybe a couple times back in like 08, 2010 kind of era when, when shit was just like, what is this? What What is happening? Why does the game feel broken? Dante's Inferno, I, I, I got stuck and I looked up a walkthrough and I still couldn't figure it out. So I was like, all right, all right fine. But I'm not opposed to it. I, I, I But I, I'm not really a completionist kind of guy. I tend to buy a game and just stick with it until it no longer serves me. And if that's before I finish it, then that's just how it is, you know? I'm going to try and Platinum Spider-Man just because I feel like I'm pretty close. That's an easy one. Yeah, and I'm pretty close to it anyway. And it'll be be a good first Platinum. Yeah, it's a great first Platinum. Uh, That was my 71st. Jesus. Oh, my God. Loser. I mean, my head hurt. They gave me like an aneurysm. I separate the two things. Trophy guides are really important. I use trophy guides all the time because they tell you about... There's always a thing called roadmaps in trophy guides where it's like, these are the trophies that are missable. These are the trophies that you have to get in order. And that's important information if you want to get a platinum. But games with missable trophies are nightmares. If you see that a game has no missable trophies, I rarely look at guides from there because I'm like, well, there's nothing for me to miss here. But if there's things where it's like, you really got to do this at this time or you're going to miss it. And then you'll never be able to get the platinum without replaying the game. That's important to me. I sometimes consult walkthroughs if I'm stuck uh, because I get to a point in a game where I want to get to the next game. Sometimes I'm playing a game. If I'm running around for an hour and I have no idea what I'm doing, I have no shame in looking up like, if something's frustrating, give me a a break, you know, if if there's like a frustrating lull and and you're just kind of stuck and especially because it's not all that unlikely, especially nowadays and especially back in the 360 PS3 generation, if you got stuck. It's very possible that your game might have bugged. Right. Like that that's happened to me a couple times where I, I, I spent like hour I spent like an hour in in this freaking Dante's Inferno puzzle room and I was like what the heck what am I missing here? And I turned it off, I came back to it in a week and sure enough like a, a thing loaded. That was like like there. a like a I can't remember if it was a like a waypoint or something. Something loaded. And I was like, "Oh, okay. Awesome." <laughs> what the what? That always is a fear. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about that recently where it always is a fear. I was When I was playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which we were playing before it came out, so there was no help to get. Right. And I, the puzzles, I'm not very good at solving puzzles in games, but, you know, I had this one puzzle that I was confused about. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what am I supposed to do? And then I'm like, oh, you go underneath this thing. It, it took the time for me to figure that out, but sometimes I get frustrated. I like non-linear games, but I'm not a huge fan of puzzle solving, so I'll consult a, yeah, I'll yeah. Consult a guide every once. I don't think there's any shame in that. I used to write them, so, you know, it's it's kind of a full circle thing for me. But I understand that there are purists out there that don't want help and, and yeah. all. And that's, again, within your own parameters of the way you play games. Yeah. There's no shame. Play how that. you want to play. Exactly. That puzzle room in Tomb Raider with the cross and the lights. Yeah. I got so annoyed with that one. 
because I just I wasn't paying it. I was like, ah, I just want to get. It was about the wanna... stations of the cross, right? Yeah, it was about the stations yeah. of the cross. And I was looking at it. I was like, I don't, I don't care. I just did it until I, I got the right cycle. For people that don't know, it's not really a spoiler. You just pull these things out and it kills you if you get the wrong one. So you just have to kind of figure it out and do it. Yeah, I know there's probably a way. I, I'm sh- I'm sure you can memorize like what you've heard in the in the past like hour of that gameplay and like piece together what you're supposed to do. But I was just like, I I'm tired. I think that was like my sixth hour in, in a, like straight in that game after getting it. And I was like, I'm I'm just I just want to get through. I just want to get past this. I hear you. Interesting game. Interesting game indeed. Yeah. Chris, that's all I have for this week's Sacred Symbols. Felt like a pretty light one. I don't think it went too short or anything. No, it's about, it give me over an hour and a half and, you know, that's some good. new game announcements, some new game releases, but we're really, it's the quiet before the storm again. We're very soon, you know, I was going to throw it in, but I didn't, is that Battlefield 5 pre-orders are apparently disastrous. Oh my God. That was, CNBC was reporting that, so wow. we'll probably have more information on that next week. That will be interesting. And, and obviously these games will start trickling out in October and we're going to have plenty to talk about, so... Yeah, so just some light news, some light commentary. Appreciate you guys and gals out there supporting us. Remember, you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Doing so can get you ad-free early access to every episode of this show. The ability to submit questions, comments, and concerns. The only way to interact with the show on that front. And also, the perks carry over in various ways to my other shows, whether that's SideQuest on YouTube, my retro podcast, Knockback, or my eclectic interview series, Fireside Chat. So I very much appreciate your guys' support. So many perks. So many perks. So many shows. So much work to do at all times. <laughs> I'm heading to San Diego for a couple of days on business. Possible investment opportunity. We'll see what happens. But uh, I'll be back next week. And of course, Chris will be back next week. And we'll have much more to talk about. Chris, thank you for your time. Of course. Appreciate you. Thank you all out there for your time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Azan Isa Al-Raisi, Ahmad Always, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Jeremy Brokos, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Jason Camargo, Matthew Canoy, William O'Carroll, Matthew Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Chris Cochran, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, David Cox, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanicos, Travis Travis DePew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fontana, Fodios Frangos, Connor Gassian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Nicholas J. Gorblish, Tyler Goodwin, David S. Graham, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Dominic Rustini, Miranda Grubba, Random Guy Radio, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Asa Haas, Josh Yeager, Clarence Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Julifs, Jeremy Key, John Clote, Kevin Kamaki, Taylor Christian Laudrin, Christian Larson, Jackson Lasuqua, Daniel Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Anthony Lencioni, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Lou and Ray Loper, Brendan Lyle, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Michael Martello, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Mad Mock Media, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Ryman, 
Schneider, Austin Riley, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Matthew Savoy, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Toby Schutman, German Sidhu, Riley Smith, Gerard Stuave, Stephen Summingit, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Esteban Valentin, Adam Van Curen, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dade Michael Edward Went, Griffin West, Mike Wan, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Richter86, Barrick, Mubarak, Dav9834, Chris, Wyatt Henry, and Donk2015. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.